of Tehillim, um, where we are understanding the various verses that King David um, wrote in the Tehillim, and it's give, it gives us a tremendous insight into what life is all about. We have been at it now for 19 weeks. We have been looking at chapter 119, um, which is the longest chapter. It has 176 verses. And today we are going to unravel the verses 153 to 160, which you will notice there if you open up your book of Tehillim, all start with the letter Resh, which is the third last letter of of the Hebrew alphabet. Next week, please God, we will be doing Shin, and then we'll be doing Taf, and then we will have a big party, I think. Um, this has been quite a long haul, but certainly I know for myself in saying Tehillim, which I like to say pretty often, um, just understanding the words and kind of like putting yourself into King David's space um, gives gives one a much much deeper understanding of what a King David was saying, and also having it you know uh, something that means something in each and every one of our own personal lives. And I hope that I've done the same thing for you, um, of opening your eyes, making you a little bit more comfortable with the words of Tehillim, which, as we've always said, are considered Tehillim. They're missiles, missiles, packages of excellent positive energy that we say in times that are good and in times that are not good. Um, we always turn back to our Tehillim um, and we say we always will find something um, soulful, so, something heartful uh, that we, we, we can say. And as we said, I think way back in the introduction to the book of Tehillim, the Tehillim are divided into psalms of thanksgiving, uh, psalms of, of pleading, psalms for sick people, all sorts of different categories. And so in this book of 150 chapters of Psalms, there certainly is something for everybody um, in all times and in all places. So as always, uh, I encourage you not to be shy. Get yourself a book of Tehillim. There's many that are transliterated, um, lots that are translated into English or into any other language. And uh Pick it up and just spend two, three minutes a day um, of a psalm of your choice. If you want to be a little bit more rigid and orderly, there are psalms for the day, there are psalms for the month, there are psalms for your birth date. Um, if you are, for example, 50, you'll say the verse, the chapter 51. You'll always say one more than your actual birthday because it actually is, if you are 50, it is your 51st uh, year. Um, because everything is is found in the book of Tehillim. And uh, we always stick by the adage that when one says the entire book of Tehillim, it's considered as if he has learned the entire Torah because the book, the books of Tehillim are actually divided into five books as well. Um, and each one, um, the first book, which would be chapters 1 to 41, are a mirror image or draw on the spiritual sources of the book of Bereshit, the book of Genesis, and so forth and so on. In fact, there's a little prayer 
that we say um, after the completion of each and every single book where we say, um, may it be your will that the book that I have finished now, the first book, which is um, an image of the book of Genesis or Exodus, um, and may all the things that we have said in there awaken um, the spiritual energies that are required in order to bring salvation, goodness, health, peace, and everything else that we need into the world. And of course, Kufyut Tet, the chapter that we are studying, has 176 verses divided into 22 letters. Each letter has eight verses. So the first eight, eight uh, verses start with the letter Aleph, and the next eight verses start with the letter Bet, etc., etc. Today we are going to do the letter Resh, verses 153 to 160. Now, last week, we spoke about the fact, we spoke about the letter Kuf, and that Kuf was about Kedusha, was about holiness, was about sanctity, was about elevation, was about living just that little bit higher, living with a, a kind of like seeing things on a different plane to what you see is what you get. Um, and that Kedusha is about that elevation. That's what holiness is all about. It's set aside, set aside. And when we just resonate a little bit higher than what the standard world perception is, um, and we are connected to Torah and mitzvahs, we will create an environment of Kedusha, of holiness. We will create ourselves into holy human beings that are moral, that are ethical, and that are really, really connected to a paradigm, to a yardstick that is greater than all of us. And obviously that yardstick is God, and um, we learn his Torah. Now comes the letter Resh, um, which represents the Rasha, the wicked. And uh, the Talmud goes and explains that the letter, the, the word Rasha um, comes from the letter Resh. Resh means in Aramaic means a head, H-E-A-D, a head. And uh, we learn over here that the wicked man is so arrogant that he will always put himself ahead of everybody else, and including, including God. Okay, He'll disobey God. He'll defy God. And so the letter Resh, meaning head, is, of, is a description of the Rasha, of the wicked Person. Now, very interestingly, we said last week that the letter Kuf um, is rep God represented because it's representative of Kedusha, of sanctity. Now, if you look at the way the Resh is shaped, the Resh, which obviously symbolizes the wicked, has its back to the letter Kuf. Um, and the Resh follows the Kuf, but the back of the Resh is towards the Kuf, so to speak, because Hashem doesn't want to look at the face of a wicked person and wickedness is, is quite it's quite a strong a strong uh, word it has like pretty negative connotations but i think that we need to understand wicked from the fact that anybody that does not keep torah distances himself from god and anybody that obviously keeps torah will endear himself and and he'll 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 move that in that direction. And really that is the only choice that we do have is do we distance ourselves from God or do we bring ourselves closer to God? In 
in linguistic terms, we have then the tzaddik and the rasha, the righteous and the wicked. Um, it does not mean the evil person. Okay, a wicked person is a person who has moved away and chosen to live his life according to anything but the accords of God. Whereas a righteous person is somebody who wants to live that little bit higher, who has that 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 uh, amount of kedusha. And King David, throughout his eight verses um, of the letter Resh, is saying and pleading to God, "I'm not a Russia. I am trying very, very hard." to maintain the path of a righteous person, to be moral, to be ethical, to um, allow myself to make the correct decisions. And therefore, re'e, and this is how he starts, uh, verse 153, re'e, see, look at me, see my affliction. It is pretty hard. It is really, really difficult out there to try and maintain a semblance of sanctity, of holiness, of being connected to that which is right. Um, and I am trying to turn away from being a Russia. You're listening to Rabbits and Adol Kazilski. Welcome back. And we are going to start looking at chapter 119, verse 153. It says the following, Re'e onyi v'chaltseni. See my affliction and release me, ki lo shachachti, for I have not forgotten your Torah. So, as we said before the break, King David is very self-motivated in his efforts to repent. And we know that he deprived himself of a tremendous amount of, of, of pleasures. And he didn't allow himself ever to become snug, smug and comfortable and self-satisfied. So, he's saying to God, don't add anything to my suffering. See my affliction. Release me. Why? Because I never, ever um, forgot your Torah. I don't need the cruel burden of pain, of affliction, because I have not forgotten anything to do with your Torah. Now, there's a very interesting Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. In the Ethics of Our Fathers, it's chapter 3, it's Mishnah 6. It says the following, Whoever takes upon himself the burden of Torah will have the oppression of the government and the burden of worldly cares removed from him. And whoever casts away from himself the burden of Torah will have the oppression of government and the burdens of worldly cares imposed upon him. A pretty interesting uh, verse, and I think this is what King David was saying when he says, release, see my affliction, release me, I haven't forgotten your Torah. And this is really, in other words, the, the promise that Torah is making, that if a Jew lives their life, his or her life, according to the dictates of the Torah, then you will not have the burdens of the practical world, of the government, of the of the worldly toils on you. And I think probably one of the best examples of that is Shabbat, is keeping Shabbos. Most times when somebody is reticent to keeping Shabbos, one of the, 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 the main arguments given is, but I need to work on Shabbos. If I don't work on Shabbos, if I don't keep my shop open on Shabbos, if I don't go generate business on Shabbos, I will not be able to, to uh, make ends meet. Okay, 
But what happens then is though while you will go out and do all of these things, the burden of government and worldly affairs will always remain a burden. And it's been proved and I I um, encourage everybody out there to go try it out. Those that keep Shabbos, they don't suffer because they've closed their business or they haven't gone to work. On the contrary, um, you kind of re- are relieved of that the, the, the burden and the, the difficulty of, of making a living. Um, and that is the gift that, that God has given us. If we are connected to Torah, then we will not have the other yokes um, upon our shoulders. King David then goes and says in chapter 154, Riva Rivi Goaleni, champion my cause and redeem me. For your word's sake, preserve me. This is again saying that I, God, have made your cause my cause, um, and I'm going to champion it as much as you should champion it as well. Um, and really, we can see that the essence of King David's life was only to speak the work of God. And so he he begs God to preserve him so that he could continue on his sacred mission. And we've said it a hundred times, we'll say it another hundred times. King David had an extremely difficult life. He had people chasing him and trying to usurp him and at every single in every single nook and cranny at every part of his life he was a fugitive he was he, they 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 tried to do a coup they tried to to kill him they tried to do a lot of things and um his greatest triumph in his struggle was that he still maintained his his uh his his identity and who he was he still stayed who he was despite his surroundings and this is something that is that is, is, is a very difficult thing in society. We feel so pressurized by peer pressure, by what the neighbors will say, what our parents will say, what whoever it is that we give credence to will say, um, that many times we tend to, to buckle um, and, and, and go with the flow as opposed to resisting something that is not godly. King David is, was very, very proud and and very, very um, steadfast in his connection to God. I just was listening to a podcast of somebody who um, attended a talk by the newly released Reb Shlomo Mordechai uh, Rubashkin. Uh, Just for those who don't know who uh, Rubashkin was, he was a Jewish um, businessman in Iowa that was unfairly jailed eight, I think it's close on eight years ago, on trumped-up charges that were very clearly anti-Semitic. Um, and uh, even those trumped-up anti-Semitic charges, it was white-collar crime. Um, for all intents and purposes, he should have been um, fined, not jailed. But the entire um, law justice I, I guess road in in America was perverted, and he received a i think it was a twenty seven year jail sentence a very very long jail sentence and he was basically thrust pulled out from amongst his people and thrown into jail with the worst of the worst 
that uh, one could really, really imagine. And uh, he tells the story that when he arrived, he arrived at at the prison. He obviously arrived um, dressed as a Jew in white, white shirt and black pants he, with his tzitzit, his yarmulke, his hat. And uh, he was shoved into the prison and the prison warden said to him, well, Charlie, things are going to be changing around here for you. You know, I kid you not. And it's, he said that at that moment, um, those words, when he heard a lot of things around here are going to be changing for you, um, he made it a personal mission that nothing will be changing for him, that whether he's on the outside, he's in the world and he's involved in the world, or now he's going into the the world of the jail where where it's a completely different world, he is not going to change. And um, he was thrown the, the, the orange uniform that all prisoners were mandated to wear. And uh, <clears throat> he said he needed his yarmulke and his tzitzis. And uh, the prison warden said, well, I told you, things are going to change. You ain't wearing those things in prison. And uh, he stood his ground and he says, well, I cannot, as a Jew, I cannot walk four steps. Dalit Amot, I cannot walk four steps without these two garments. And uh, there was a huge fight. Um, and eventually they didn't know what to do with him because he refused to walk because he didn't have his yarmulke and sitsis. So they brought him a wheelchair and they threw this calcrantant uh, prisoner, so they thought, into a wheelchair and wheeled him to wherever he, he had to go. And uh, this fight continued, and he was eventually transferred to another uh, another jail elsewhere. And again, he had this argument that he needed his yarmulke and sitsis, and apparently at one point in time, they called almost like this bomb squad-looking type of, of, of soldiers that came and clad with helmets and, and bulletproof vests and AK-47s and whatever have you, and they were pointing at him, and he actually said they all burst out laughing because it was the most ridiculous sight. They called in like five of the most mafiosas um, that there was to, to, you know, to get a guy what? <laughs> to accept that he wasn't going to put any yamakanatsitsis. But he got his way and he got his yamakanatsitsis. And this is really what King David is, is, is talking about. What King David is saying is that I championed your cause. It didn't matter how difficult it was, whatever circumstance that I found myself in, I championed, I championed, championed your cause. Um, similar to um, Reb Shlomo Mordechai Rubashkin. He was a Jew. He was a Jew, whether he was a Jew in prison or a Jew as a free man. He was a Jew and he wasn't going to buckle down at all um, and break any rules because some outside force had told him that he should, he should do otherwise. Verse 155 reads, Rachok mirashayim Yeshua. Salvation is far from the wicked, ki because they sought not your statues. So first, what King David is going to do is he's going to build up what a wicked person is. Um, and the Malbim, a commentator on this verse says, this verse is talking about those people who selectively observe some of the commands of the Torah and they refuse to accept others. So they embrace, embrace mitzvahs 
that are readily understood maybe. Um, they might be turned on by their sense of history and tradition, but there'll be some things they'll go and say, well, that doesn't make sense to me. That's nonsense that I'm not keeping. Um, and so you'll look at these people and you'll think, oh, these people identify with God. They identify with Yiddishkeit, with Judaism, but at heart they're really estranged from God and they're far from salvation. Why? Because they have not sought out your statutes, which means that for one to be a, a devout, truthful, law-abiding Jew, it's not a let me pick and choose which mitzvot I want to keep type of thing. It is, I am keeping all your Torah, all your mitzvahs, um, and I keep them whether I understand them or not, whether they're pertinent to me or not, whether they make sense or not. I keep your, 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 your mitzvahs. And so that is really what is the, what, how we, di- how we define wickedness in Torah. It's the ability the freedom of choice to go and say, well, I'll keep this, but not this. I'll do this, but not that. I'm not going to go hyper sugar and, uh, you know, I'm not going to have to keep it like that. Maybe if I do like this, it will be a little bit better. Um, those type of things. But that does not bring for salvation. That does not allow um, one to be fully redeemed in the sense that one is completely connected to God and above nature. Verse 156 reads, Rachamecha Rabim Hashem, your mercies Hashem are abundant. Kemishpatecha Chayeni, preserve me according to your judgments. Now, we know that Hashem is very merciful. Okay? Hashem's mercy is great. Um, and even when it comes to those that disconnect themselves from God, those that don't want to have anything to do with God, God is still merciful. Um, and King David is using it in the opposite. He's saying, I know, Hashem, your mercies are abundant. And if you are merciful to the wicked and you, you know, you have a, uh, you, 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 you take long to get angry, you, you, you show a lot of compassion still, then how much more so can Mishpatecha Chayeni preserve me according to your judgments because I accept my mission and I accept my role. And um, I'm, I'm focused on it. So, how much more so for me? You should have you should have uh, the the mercy to to look after me well. Then he goes on to say and talk about his life. Rabim Rodfai Vitsarai, Many were my pursuers, and many were my tormentors. But I did not swerve from your testimonies. Right? Who were his pursuers? Well, King Saul was his pursuer. It says that the sons of Orpah, who were very powerful giants, um, one of the powerful giants was Goliath, Goliath. Um, they chased him. Doeg and Achitophel, two other you know, uh, characters um, that lived in King David's time, pursued him. Um, and these were people who weren't you know, uh, the riffraff of society. They were great in wisdom. They were great in wealth. They were great in physical stature. Look at Goliath. He was enormous. Okay, there was absolutely, in a sense, no chance for David to overcome um, Goliath. But they, they were the ones 
that came and were his pursuers, his tormentors. Now, in one other verse, in, in fact, in, in chapter 3, which we learned long time ago, um, King David says, Hashem ma rabu tsarai, rabim kamim alai. Hashem, how many are my tormentors, the great, the, the, the great rise against me. And here we've got the word rabim rot five tsarai. Many are my pursuers and tormentors. So we look at the word rabu, ma rabu tsarai, and rabim rot five. Rabu and rabim is a quantitative sense, as in the majority, which Basically, King David was saying, listen, the world was against me. Um, you know, the nation, the bulk of the nation were hostile towards me. And we're not even talking the hostility being from riffraff. We're talking the hostility being from the centers of influence, of wisdom, of wealth, of, of physical stature. They all came against me. And although the enemies of King David tried to harm him, he never sought revenge. He just clung and, and stayed connected to God. Why? Because one of the verses that we learn in the book of Vayikra, in the book of Leviticus, it's chapter 19, verse 18. It says, You shall not revenge, nor shall you bear any grudge against any of the children of your people. Um, and on the contrary, furthermore, um, we're taught in the book of Shemot, the absolute corollary to this, um, it says, if you see the donkey of a man who hates you falling under its burden and you would refrain from unloading it, you should surely help and unload it with him. Okay, and on a practical level, this is teaching that Jews are not vengeful people. We don't go out in retaliation. Um, we're not allowed to bear a grudge. We're not allowed to hold things against people. And certainly if, even if when we see our enemy suffering, we should go out and help. Uh, an interesting thing that's just come to mind now um, was the statement by Prime Minister Netanyahu sending condolences to Iran because they had a plane crash. And in it he said, we're not against the people of Iran. We're against the regime. We're against the concept that they're, they're breeding. We're against the, the philosophy that they are spousing. But when it comes to the tragic loss of human beings, when it comes to the tragic loss of life, we send condolences as much as we will feel for any other loss of life, be it the Florida shootings or, or, or stabbings in China or anything else, where anything else um, has happened because we are not a people that go out and eke out a revenge. We don't bear a grudge. We actually go out and help our enemies. And this is what King David is saying. Many people try to pursue me, but I didn't swear from your testimonies. I didn't, uh, I didn't get involved in anything on that level whatsoever. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back, and we are studying the verses that start with the letter Resh in the chapter of Kuf Yut Tet, 119, and we're on chapter 159. King David says, Observe that I've loved your precepts, meaning I loved them so much that I was prepared to fight um, all the traitors who, 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 who were against you, because you, Hashem, have um, preserved me in accordance with your kindness. 
Um, not much to say on this verse. It's, it's really practically what he is saying that, look, Hashem, I have observed your, your, your Torah and you in turn preserve me according to your kindness. You've given me life and you've let me overcome. Then he goes and says, um, some words which really incorporates, encapsulates what it is to be a righteous person and what it is that we are clinging to. He says the words, Rosh Devarcha Emet, your very first utterances is truth. And your righteous judgment is eternal. What does it mean that your very first utterance is truth? He's, of, he's here talking about the first thing that God told the Jewish people at Har Sinai. Okay, and obviously that we know is the first one was, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. Now, there's a very interesting midrash, which I'd like to read to you, that talks about the giving of the Torah. It says that the midrash goes as follows, that when the kings of the world heard the first commandment, I am Hashem your God, they exclaimed, Ha! Huh. God is no different from us. No king would want anyone to deny his sovereignty. We too would say, I am Hashem, your God. The Hashem continued, God continued and said, he has the second commandment. Okay, you shall not recognize other gods. It says that the kings of the world mocked that and said, this God is like us. He tolerates no challenges to his authority. Then when they heard the third commandment, which is, you shall not take the name of Hashem, your God, in vain. They protested, there's nothing extraordinary about this. Which king would want his subject to swear falsely or vainly in his name? We would also do such a thing. They heard the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and sanctify it. Here too, they failed to appreciate what was the Kiddush, what was, some, what was so amazing about it. They said, Every king would want his subjects to observe whichever holidays he makes holidays. And then the Midrash finishes up and says, But when the kings of the world heard the fifth commandment, Honor your father and mother, they were taken aback. They were amazed. And they exclaimed, This contradicts all our traditions because we demand that our subjects display undivided loyalty to 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 their Lord by signing a solemn oath stating, I hereby recognize no parent or relative. I only pledge my allegiance exclusively to my king and my master. And so then it says the Midrash ends, the kings came to recognize that God's commandments were unselfish, unlike their own decrees, and they appreciated the wisdom and the fairness of all the preceding commandments as well. And humbly they rose from their, th- from their thrones and they paid homage and thanks to God. Rosh Devacha Emet, from the first utterance that you gave, okay, it was truth. And the Talmud goes and says another interesting thing, Rosh Devacha Emet, your very first utterance is truth. Is it only the beginning true and not the end? Okay, but this was a response to... Um, the kings who waited until they heard the commandment and they came to their conclusion at the end that 
the first uh, the first four were true but god's commandments each and every single one of them are true and they are just and uh, one of the well known adages in judaism is the following it says chomat that the signature, the seal of God is truth. Meaning, Jew, as Jews, we believe that there is only one God. There is only one truth. And how do we know that? How do we know that God's stamp, God's stamp of approval, his stamp of his monarchy is truth? So one of the things that we know is that when we want to... Um, give credence, we want to, 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 to show importance to something, um, we'll seal it with a, a seal. Okay, um, today we apostille things. In the olden days, if the king's signet ring was stamped or something of, of his was stamped on the thing, then you knew that this was good, it was right, it was binding. Where did God seal into the world of creation his truth, his emet, to say, I sign this off? This is 100% true. So um, the Midrash goes and tells us that if you look at the first three words that start off the Torah, Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning God created. If you look at the last letters of those three words, Bereshit is a tough Bara and Aleph and Elohim and Mem. If you take the Taf and the Aleph and the Mem, jumble them up, you get the, the, the word Emet, okay, um, which means truth. And so you can see almost as a, as a poet, God weaved the initials of his name, his truthfulness into the stanzas of his work. And it says that everything that God does, all the assurances he makes to the righteous, is considered an oath of truth. Um, as we are told in another Tehillim, God, um, King David says, Nishba Hashem le David Emet, that God swore to King David in truth. And really, this is what it's all about. Your righteous judgment is eternal. Truth is the theme and the purpose underlying all of God's actions as he controls the word. And God will judge and reward all those who are faithful to him. He will punish all those that deny his truth. And this is, in essence, the response that King David is giving to the Rishayim, to the, the wicked out there. You can be wicked. You can steal. You can be corrupt. You can do a whole lot of things. Somewhere along the line, what will happen is that that, that sheker, that um, falseness will fall and it will be like a domino effect. Everything around you will fall. The person, and, 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 and this is the person who vacillates in the world denying God and trying to do his own thing. A person who's connected to God, who's connected to the truthfulness of God, is connected to the, 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 the Torah, which teaches us how to behave, how to stay in a level of holiness, sanctity, morality, integrity. You're untouchable. You're untouchable because you're connected to God and nothing but nothing can hurt you. And we are seeing slowly now, um, as we are getting closer and closer 
to the gula, to the redemption, that all that is wicked is falling away and is crumbling. Because one cannot think that one can beat a path of wickedness, of disconnect from the source, disconnect from God and uh, get away with it. And uh, surely in South Africa, we saw that that very much um, with our own eyes last week in our political arena. But it's happening everywhere in the world. All the corruption, all the negativity is being spewed out now, is being brought to the fore because to be wicked um, and to believe that you can get away with it is it's just it's a falseness. It's a play of your of, of the Yetzirah, of the evil inclination. The person who is righteous, the person who's moral, the person who's integ- integrous, the person who's Shomer Mitzvah, the person who keeps Torah um, and, and, and clings to God, he will ultimately be the one that comes on top. And on that note, I wish you all a wonderful week. May you remain on top not underneath, um, and we are now in the month of Adar, so I wish each and every single one of you a wonderful week. It says, Adar When you enter into Adar, we have to increase in joyousness, so besides being on top, I wish you a very happy and joyous week.